0: Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Let me pray as we begin our uh, service this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would enter into this season of Advent be reminded that, that the world was waiting for hope, for joy, for peace, for love, and that you came and provided that as you sent your son. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful and and remember that our hope and our love and our peace and our joy is found in who you are and what you have done. And so I pray as we look again at one of the stories of Christmas, one of the stories of the birth of of Jesus, that we would be reminded of how much you love us, that your love is, is what is what compelled you to come and save us, and that you love all people, that you so love the world that you sent your Son. And so, Father, I pray we'd be mindful of that as we come to the words of the Scripture this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As I was writing this sermon, I had a question that kept on kind of coming into my mind. And it's, it's this question. Have you ever had the experience... Of feeling like an outsider looking in. Have you ever had a feeling or an experience of knowing that you don't quite fit? You just don't quite fit the group or the crowd that you are a part of. And it's usually a very subtle thing. No one actually tells you that you don't belong. From all appearances, it looks as though you're part of the crowd. But there's an internal sense, an experience, or a feeling that you just aren't really like this group of people that you happen to be around. You're kind of looking around going, I don't really fit here. I grew up in a small town, and it was really wonderful to grow up in a small town, a really good experience for the most part. But there were those moments growing up in a small town when you feel like an outsider looking in. I wasn't born in that town. I moved to that town when I was five years old, which you think would be young enough, but I grew up in a town where many of the people that I went to school with, they were third generation. So their grandparents had moved there way, way, way back. Their parents had been raised there, uh, you know, growing up there, went to school together, uh, worked together, stayed in that town, and now the third generation is growing up there. And so even though I moved there when I was young, you know, you always did kind of feel like, ooh, I don't quite fit here. You kind of just knew sometimes that you didn't quite fit the, the culture, a little bit like an outsider looking in. And if you add to that, so I think everyone has this idea that small rural Alberta towns is like the Bible Belt of Canada. That's just not true. I had a graduation class of 65 students. There was only two of us that went to church out of 65 kids. So add to the fact that I'm not, I'm already not from the town, even though I moved there when I was five years old, but add to the fact that I'm one of the only kids that goes to church every Sunday, because my parents, we went every Sunday. And so you add that, and you always kind of had the sense, like, no matter how many friends I made and whatever, and it was very good for the most part, there was kind of an internal sense, like, oh, I don't quite fit here. Now, I bring all of this up because we're looking at the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds. And I want us to have a a more accurate picture of who these shepherds were, because you might have heard sermons in the past or read devotionals in the past about how shepherds were like the most despised, hated, feared, or rejected people of the day. That's a really common claim, that shepherds were like the lowest of the low. They were seen as like scary and mean, and and people hated them. Uh, Scholars and commentators will often say how hated the shepherds were. One commentator wrote, In general, shepherds were dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law, and they represent the outcasts and sinners for whom Jesus came. Another commentator writes, the rabbis considered the shepherds to be religious outcasts and their testimony was not admissible in court. And those are just a few quotes from scholars and commentators from the past like 100 years about the shepherds. Can I just tell you there's a bit of a problem with these claims? The sources that they're pulling this this information from uh, is either not a Jewish source so it's like a Greek source or a Roman source, or the source they're pulling these ideas from come from, from hundreds of years after the birth of Jesus. So Jesus was born in the first century. They're pulling this from, from way, way, way out, like 300 years later. And so I want us to have a more accurate picture of the shepherds. They, they weren't these hated, despised, rejected people, although that would fit the, the story really well. Unfortunately, we want to be accurate. And it just doesn't, I don't think the evidence is there. I think it's more accurate to view the shepherds as outsiders in their community. They're not hated, they're not feared, they're not rejected, they're just, they just don't quite fit. Kind of like me in, in my small town. I'm part of it, I'm making friends, I know people, it's friendly, but there's this kind of intuitive sense like, I don't quite fit here. And they were seen as a little bit lower in the social standing but the shepherds were able to make friends. They weren't as hated or as feared or as despised as some commentators had assumed. They were more like me in my small town. Welcome, but a little bit distanced. Welcome, but still seen as maybe a little bit strange or a little bit weird, kind of like outsiders looking in. And some of that distance and separation just came from the nature of a shepherd's job. If you think about a shepherd, there's kind of two ways a shepherd would do their job. One way is that they would be moving with their their sheep all over the land, so like nomadic. And they would spend a little bit of time in one village and a little bit of time in another village, a little bit of time in another one. And so you could see how they're a little bit distanced from the community because they're never spending time in the community. They're just kind of in and out. And they're often not around for the big celebration days or any of that. The other way a shepherd could work is they might stay in a village, but they were tied to their flock. And so even though they lived in the village, nobody in the village would ever really see them because they were always out in the fields with their flock looking after them. And so there was always kind of like, oh yeah, we know him, but we don't really know him. He's sort of doing his own thing over there. And so even if I just want to kind of get the accuracy, and I'm really big on accuracy, so I I don't want to come in. It would be so easy for me to be like, yeah, shepherds were hated and despised or the outcasts. That would make my sermon so much easier. Like, it would just make the narrative fit so much easier, and I could, like, quote it from all sorts of different commentators, and would be like, but I just don't think it's accurate. I think it's better that we see them as sort of outsiders looking in, is, is the best term I can come up with it. Now, even if we acknowledge that shepherds are not as hated or as despised as some might think, there's still a really weird group to, change the, to, to announce the world-changing event of, of Jesus' birth to, because shepherds you know, just because of the nature of who they are and what they do, they don't have much of a voice in their society, they don't have a big platform, and they are seen as sort of outsiders. As Dan Darling puts it, the shepherds are the first to hear of the most significant event in the history of the world. That's not hyperbole. This is the most significant event in the history of the world, and the shepherds are the first to hear it. It was the story that the Jewish people had eagerly awaited for, the fulfillment of the promise delivered by the prophets and passed down from generation to generation. One day, a Savior will come. One day, a Messiah will come. God had issued this unconditional promise to the people of Israel. Out of their nation, out of the tribe of Judah, out of the family of King David would come a Messiah. And then there's 400 years of of seeming silence. And then all of a sudden, God speaks through an angel to a, to a Jewish couple that the Christ child would be born into their family. Mary, Mary, a virgin, would conceive of the Holy Spirit and bear a son to be named Jesus. And so you would think when this story finally broke open, when the baby Jesus was born and entered the world, that the announcement would be rolled out by the Almighty with the greatest of fanfare. At least, isn't that what you would do? You'd leak it to a prominent journalist. You'd make sure that those in the highest levels of authority were briefed. You'd schedule a press conference. Cable news shows would be all over it. It'd be trending on social media. You'd say, Everyone needs to know the birth of the Messiah has happened. Like, if you were God, is that not what you'd be like? Okay, everyone in the world needs to know this, this amazing news. But this isn't the way that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, made his appearance. We see that God did announce the birth with great fanfare, but not to the people you would expect. It's announced to some nearby shepherds in a field, and you never know the shepherds' names. You never know what they do after this. It's just, oh, some random shepherds in a field. Those are the guys we should announce this to. We pick up in our text, Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just imagine the scene with me for a moment. You're out in the field. It's dark. It's quiet. You're half asleep because the sheep are half asleep. And then suddenly it lights up and a figure is appearing before you. It's like bright as day and a figure just suddenly appears before you. That's absolutely terrifying. And he tells you, you of all people, why you? Well, you don't know why, but this figure tells you that the promised Messiah that all your people have been hoping for and praying for has been born, that the entire world has been changed and for some reason you, a shepherd in the field, are invited to be a witness to this event. If this was modern day times, let's try to think, what would this be like in modern day times? It would be like saying this. It would be like saying, one night as the, as the night shift workers at the Amazon warehouse took a break from fulfilling orders and packing boxes and shipping them out, out back near the dumpsters as they took a smoke break, and, a- <laughs> as you do, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone bright around them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being an Amazon night shift worker, but if you were an Amazon night shift worker and this occurred to you, you would be thinking to yourself, why are you telling me this? Tell the premier, tell the prime minister, tell the mayor, why are you coming to me and my coworkers in the dead of night with this light show and choir? I mean, honored, flattered, but why me? Why us? And for me, when I read the story of the shepherds coming to the birth, that's the question that I I just need answered. Why shepherds? Why not the high priest? Why not King Herod? Why not the Roman Emperor Augustus or the governor of the region, Quirinus? Why some nearby shepherds? To borrow from Dan Darling again, he says, there is something significant and powerful about the inclusion of the shepherds in the Jesus story. Luke is reminding us by mentioning the shepherds, That the kingdom of God isn't just for the insiders, but for the outsiders. Like shepherds, like the poor classes Mary and Joseph came from. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is often made up not of the noble and the wise, but of the underclass, those people that have no business being near royalty. Emmanuel, God with us, means God is truly among all classes of people, not simply the well-connected or well-resourced. And so in the story of the shepherds being the first to be invited and the first to know, we see that God, while he loves all people, he loves all the world, he loves all people, God has a special interest in those on the margins. He has a special interest on those on the outside. To the ones who have no power and could never dream of having it. And we actually see throughout Scripture that a defining trait of God is his heart for the ones who are poor, downtrodden, marginalized, and kept away from the places of power and influence, but who live at the whim of the powerful and influential. We see in this trait of God, our Father, the reason that God even chose the people of Israel to be his people. I just want to take you through, I made a claim here that God has a special interest in the poor, the marginalized, the downtrodden, and the outcast. Let me take you through scripture a little bit. Do you know why God chose the people of Israel to be his people? It was because they were small and not powerful. That's what he says. Moses tells the people, "...the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors." We see this same trait in, in God's, of God's heart for people like this when he chooses David to be the next king of Israel. I think in our minds, we always think of David like later in life, right? The conquering king, the, the, the king who rules over all Israel, this, this mighty <clears throat> and powerful king. <clears throat> but we forget that David was the youngest in his family. He was so inconsequential that his father didn't even go and get him when Samuel came and said, okay, one of your boys is going to, I need to anoint one of your boys. All the boys are there, but not David. Because his father goes, well, why would we bring David? He's the youngest, he's the smallest, and he's the shepherd. Notice that he's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's with the sheep. Why would we bring him? And yet God says, that's the one who's going to be the king of my people. We see it in the words of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Corinth. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can boast in the presence of God. And then if we look at At Jesus' life, as he begins his ministry, he demonstrates this great openness to those who are on the outside looking in, the outcasts of the day. Jesus even goes and ministers in a region called Samaria. The people of Samaria, the Samaritans, were certainly seen as outcasts by their pure Jewish brothers and sisters. And there was actually great hostility between Samaritans and Jews. And yet Jesus makes it a point to travel through Samaria and minister there. There are certainly outcasts, outsiders looking in and Jesus says, yeah, I gotta go there. The outcasts seem to always find an open spot at the table of fellowship with Jesus. The ones who don't fit the mold, who are looked at with suspicion. In Jesus, they find safety, welcome and friendship. In the birth announcement to the shepherds in the field, these guys who are welcome in their communities, but not totally at home in their communities, these shepherds who are a bit on the outside looking in, we see this same trajectory of God's desire for those who never really feel at home to feel at home in his presence. So I want to pause here for a moment and think about the gathering of the church. Sometimes I think local churches are a little bit like my hometown growing up, full of really wonderful and nice people, but a little bit hard to break into if you don't quite fit the mold. Or if you're new to town and you don't know that the Mohawk convenience store is, now, is always called TC's. Because 20 years ago, it was called TC's. And even though it hasn't been TC's for 20 years, you're still expected to know, oh, the Mohawk gas station is TC's. Of course, obviously. Or you turn at the barn that burnt down 15 years ago. Because everyone knows the barn burnt down 15 years ago. But what I mean is churches sometimes get their own language, their own culture, their own customs And they're full of wonderful and amazing people. But for outsiders coming in, they go, I don't know if I quite fit here. They can be a little bit hard to break into. You know, perhaps people come into our churches and they feel welcomed, but still a little bit like an outsider looking in and not sure if they really fit. Now, I'll say this. From all the reports that I receive from people coming into our church, Cochrane Alliance is seen as warm and welcoming and a pretty easy place to find belonging and to connect. So good job, church. (laughs) You're doing a good job. But it's just something that I I think we need to keep in mind. That Jesus was someone who made the outcasts feel at home. That the outcasts and the, the marginalized were drawn to Jesus. And he said to welcome them and eat with them. And so my prayer is that no one would ever feel out of place in our space. And I... I even go as far as to go, what about those who, who you know, have a learning disability or, or people who um, are on an autism spectrum and, and loud music just, they can't handle that. Like, how do we, how do we be a place where everyone feels welcome? How do, we, how do we do that? And I think some of it is just being mindful that Jesus was so often found with the people that were on the down and outs or the ones who didn't quite fit the mold, the ones who didn't quite fit in the, the rest of the community. And this is really radical hospitality to welcome the ones who are looked down on, cast out, or down and out. Now, one of the values of Cochrane Alliance Church is to be a place of hospitality. And the hospitality of Jesus is to welcome the outsiders and to make a place for them. A lot of years ago, I was able to see a church embrace that type of hospitality. It was when I was doing my internship at the Mustard Seed in downtown Calgary. I was only there six months, but it was a very impactful time for me. I've got all sorts of stories out of there. So I would say, if you going to go into ministry, do an internship at the Mustard Seed downtown. It's a great time. But I was doing my internship at the Mustard Seed in Calgary, and I was interning in the chaplaincy program. So I was there every Sunday morning, and I was helping with the Sunday services, connecting with the guests, hearing their stories, and talking about faith. And I met some really incredible people. People who are prostitutes and addicts and homeless whose lives had some really unimaginable suffering that had often led to addiction and homelessness. But it was Christmas time and there was a church in the down south of Calgary who wanted to invite mustard seed guests to come for a meal and to watch their church put on a Christmas play. My job was to schedule the buses that would, put, that would take the guests from the Mustard Seed downtown to the suburb of Calgary so they could have a meal and watch this Christmas play and get back to downtown Calgary. Now, I don't know why every bus in the city was booked at this time, but I could not find a bus rental company that had any buses available. And I had no idea how I was going to get these, these guests from the Mustard Seed downtown to this church in, in the south of Calgary without a bus. And, and it was like getting to be crunch time. Like I got to get a bus figured out here. And one day as I'm walking to the mustard seed, I walk past the Kokanee Beer Party Bus. And on the side, it says, rentals, with a phone number. And I'm like, well, I've phoned every single rental company in the city, but I haven't phoned the Kokanee Beer Party Bus, and so problem solved. I phoned them up, and they said, of course the party bus is free on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, imagine that, and so, so, you know, uh, the, uh, the head chaplain, Kevin Kurtz at the time, I think it was like, you got those buses ready? I'm like, you got it, buddy. I don't think I told him. Maybe I did. i but like, you got it, man. And so that Sunday, after their, <laughs> after their first meal, these kokanee, two kokanee party buses pull up. And it was just the wildest scene. They had poles in the middle of the bus. And uh, the guests that we were bringing were exuberant to be on this bus. And it was like a party in that bus. There was, as far as I could tell, no alcohol or drugs being consumed because that wasn't allowed at the Mustard Seed. But it was like a party in that bus in like Sunday afternoon going down. And we pull into this church in the suburbs in our Kokanee party bus. And the guests are like ecstatic. I mean, they are loud. They are like hooting and hollering. And they come out of this Kokanee beer party bus. And I should say there's some scandalous... Images on the side of this bus, that's just sort of how those things roll, and we pull into this church parking lot, and I'm like, I bet you this church has never had guests like this before. But I loved the church's hospitality, they didn't say anything. And they served these guests who were pretty hyped up, like it was loud. And they served them like they were the most honored people in the world. And they put on this play, and the thing you got to know about people who are coming off the streets, if you give them a big meal and put them in a dark sanctuary and you turn the lights down, they are going to fall asleep. And so there was many guests sleeping as the church put on their Christmas play. Nobody said anything. We thanked them, and we went back. But I think that this kind of radical hospitality, that this church demonstrated to us is really beautiful. And when I think of the shepherds, I think of this radical hospitality, this, this welcoming of those who are a bit on the outside, the ones on the margins. These shepherds are invited to witness the event that's gonna change the world forever. And even if the shepherds are not as despised as we've maybe sometimes thought, they're still really unlikely people to be the first invited to see the long-awaited Messiah. But it's a, really, to me, a picture of God's hospitality. Who should I invite to the birth of the Son of God? Well, just some nearby shepherds, of course. They're just nearby shepherds. We don't even know who they are, besides the fact that they're shepherds. And the shepherds, of course, are eagerly part of this amazing event. They're honored to be invited. And we read, so they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So as we come to the last part of the sermon, I just want to come back to that question, why the shepherds? I think we've answered the question partly. Just to to reiterate it, to borrow from Dan Darling again, the invitation to the shepherds reminds us that the kingdom of God isn't just for the insiders, but for the outsiders. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is often made up not of the noble and wise, but of the underclass, those people who have no business being near royalty. Emmanuel, God with us, means God is truly among all classes of people, not simply the connected or well-resourced. And so I believe this is part of the answer. It's affirmation that God is calling all people to himself. And as we see in the life of Jesus, those who are on the outside looking in, those who are looked down on by the religious establishment, those who are cast out by their communities, they will find a welcoming place with Jesus. But I think there's actually a deeper symbolic meaning to having shepherds be the first invited to witness the birth of Jesus. The deeper symbol is that the Old Testament scriptures consistently portray the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel to be shepherds. The prophets, the priests, and the kings are called shepherds of the people, and Jesus himself is going to call himself the great shepherd. And so, although in practicality shepherds in that day might have been a little bit on the lower rung of society, we want to note that God himself uses shepherd as a term for those who lead his people. Now, often in Scripture, what we find, especially in the Old Testament, is that the religious and the political leaders are not good shepherds. They mislead people, and they spiritually abuse people. And we see that in a prophecy that Ezekiel gives to the religious leaders of his day. This message came to me from the Lord, says Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So that's the indictment of the Lord against the shepherds of Israel, not the ones who look after sheep, but the spiritual leaders of the people. But in the same prophecy in Ezekiel, we see a messianic prophecy. A prophecy of who Jesus will be. Jesus, the good shepherd, who will, do what the, who will do the right thing. He will right the wrongs of the shepherds who abuse the flock. It goes on. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. When Jesus begins his public ministry, we find that the spiritual shepherds of the people, the religious leaders of the day, they reject Jesus And seek to kill him. Whereas these shepherds in the field, who we don't even know anything more about them other than they're shepherds in the field, they hear the angels go and see Jesus the infant, and then it says they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So these shepherds in the field do what the spiritual shepherds should have done. And finally, I want to mention that shepherds being the first to witness this world-changing event shows us what type of Messiah This will be. Jesus will be the good shepherd. And this is good news for everyone who feels like a lost sheep. Because what will the good shepherd do according to the prophecy in Ezekiel? He will find his scattered sheep. He will bandage the injured and he will bring them home. The good shepherd Jesus will do whatever it takes to care for his sheep. He sacrifices his very life so that we may find life. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. So Jesus is such a good shepherd that he is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And so, not only will Jesus the Good Shepherd be willing to lay down his life for his sheep, but Jesus the Good Shepherd will go out and find those who are not yet in the sheepfold. Jesus will go out and find the outcasts, the lost sheep. And Jesus says this He says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And don't we see Jesus living this out in his life? He's constantly going out of his way to find those who are on the outside. He came to seek the lost. He was eating with them, drawing them in and bringing them home. God is with the outcasts and the down and out. And Jesus tells us a parable to understand this desire that God has to find those who are lost. Those who know they are lost and who are desperate to be found, but but none of their spiritual leaders are, are coming to find them. In fact, the spiritual leaders are building the sheepfold walls higher so that the lost sheep can't get in. But Jesus tells a parable to say, no, this is what the good shepherd will do. I'm going to begin right from the beginning of the parable. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to Jesus to listen to him teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people and even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus is telling us exactly what he's going to do. He's going to go to the ones who are lost those on the outside, those on the margins, those who are kept on the outside, Jesus can say, I'm gonna go and bring them home and we're gonna rejoice when they come back. Eugene Peterson kind of captures this when he says, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us, he enters into our trouble and saves us because that's what a good shepherd does. If his sheep gets off the path and gets into the brambles and it's stuck in a thorn bush and in a ravine, the good shepherd goes down in there and he untangles the wool from the brambles. He doesn't beat the sheep over the head with his staff because that damages the sheep and he doesn't rip the sheep out of the brambles because that would damage the sheep. He carefully untangles the wool from the thorns and he grabs that sheep close and that sheep is scared and it's kicking and it's biting and it's headbutting him. This isn't a gentle procedure because the sheep is terrified, but he grabs that sheep close and he carries it home. That's the picture that Jesus leaves with us. And like any good shepherd, Jesus will not leave his sheep messy and broken and hurting. He takes us out of our place of brokenness and to a place of restoration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Like the Lord promised in Ezekiel in that prophecy, He himself would come to the ones who were abused and rejected. He would find them and he would rescue them to give them peace and a place to rest. He will bandage the wounded and strengthen the weak. Jesus will be the great and the good shepherd who finds his lost sheep. And I think that's the deeper meaning as to why shepherds are the first to be invited. It's pulling all of scripture together. The good shepherd has come. I'm gonna call the worship team up as we close here. But I do want to say this. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here today and maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable in churches. Maybe you're, you're not sure you're really fit. You're not sure you really belong. You're not sure even if you fully believe. Maybe those who should have been spiritual shepherds in your life have actually harmed you. Well, my prayer for you would be that you would see God's heart for you. That his desire is to pick you up, bandage your wounds and carry you home. Remember the prophecy of Ezekiel when the Lord comes to care for the sheep saying, I will search for my lost ones and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us to good pastures. And maybe you're not sure if you're welcome to be part of what God is doing. Maybe you've always felt like a little bit of an outsider looking in when you come into a church or some other kind of Christian thing. My prayer for you is that the knowledge that the shepherds are the first to hear the birth announcement puts you at ease. If you've ever felt like an outsider, or if you've ever felt like an outcast, God's heart is absolutely for you, and he's inviting you to come and see what all this means. Let me pray for you, and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, we want to praise you that you are the good shepherd. Not only are you willing to lay down your life for your sheep, but you are also willing to go out and find those who are lost, those who are beaten and broken and, and have strayed away. You want to go and find them and carry them home. And so, Lord, I pray that in this place, it would be a place where, where all your sheep know that they are at home, that they would know your presence is here. And, Lord, we thank you that the kingdom of God is, is delivered to those who are on the outside looking in. We thank you that we are reminded that you, you find those people on the margins, on the, on the fringes, and you invite them to the table of fellowship. And from there, your kingdom expands. So Lord, let us be like you. Let us be humble. Let us be loving. And let the peace of the Lord rule and reign in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.